So welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. It is a lovely Friday here in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and it is uh, a little tournament called the Masters that is happening. So I'm pumped. I'm excited to go watch that this weekend with the kind of, you know, making my wife watch that this weekend. So we'll see how that goes for me, (laughs) but um, excited because we've got uh, Dave and Adam here from C-Lab. Uh, which is a community all built around customer education. Um, and they're really focused in the the software space, similar to us. And we got the chance to meet uh, several times and thought it would be fun to throw together an episode. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you both introduce yourselves uh, real quick. So Dave, why don't we start with you? Give us the, you know, give us the, the 15 second pitch on who Dave is and why we should know you. Cool. Uh, well, I'm Dave Darrington. I am a co-host of C-Lab podcast, and I'm also the senior manager of customer education and outreach currently. Been around the block a little bit uh, with Adam here. We're doing a lot of uh, podcasts and doing everything we can to share the world, share the information with the world about customer education. Adam? Hey, Adam Everbescu. I am also the co-host of the C-Lab podcast. Uh, I lead customer education, enterprise customer education specifically at Slack. And I also wrote the book called Customer Education, Why Smart Companies Profit by Making Customers Smarter. So if you're a, a customer success person that is thinking about starting your own customer education team or why this thing is important, please check that out. I love it. Um, well, I always like to start with a, a fun question, um, you know, try and get us uh, a little bit outside of the business world, hopefully just for a couple of minutes. And so uh, maybe, you know, for, for both of you, you know, looking back, um, what was maybe like the first job that you had that you were, you know, getting paid for um, kind of thinking back to those early days, you know, for me, I always go back to, uh, I think I was mowing lawns in my neighborhood and uh, taking my lawnmower, literally like wheeling it down the street. Uh, didn't have any other way to get it there. Sometimes I hook, hooked it on the back of my bike, would uh, drive it down the street, but I'm curious, what's the, what's the first job uh, that you had, Dave? Well, here's a good one. Actually, it fits into my career today. Uh, one of the first jobs that I had that was my most meaningful one in early career was I was a tour guide for a place called Merrimack Caverns. Um, it's about, oh, an hour-ish out of St. Louis, Missouri, in what they call big cave country. So, and this is, it, it was a magical summer job. And I say that because, okay, in Missouri, in the summer, it's hot, it's humid, it's miserable. You don't want to be outside. As soon as the sun comes up, you don't want to be there. (laughs) Um, I live in Seattle now, so it's a massive contrast. It's kind of like being in that cave where every day I'd like, I can't wait to get into work. You walk in the door, you go down a little bit, 60 degrees, it's dark. I mean, what's better for a teenager in those days? Leading four tours a day through an hour and a half, it was it was amazing. It was a great way to meet people and learn about the world and, and have fun. Plus keep cool. Uh, that's awesome. What's uh what's one of the facts that you remember about the caves? Oh my gosh. Um, well, let's see that, that puts me on the spot. Um, <laughs> oh gosh. You know, the, the, the cave system there was bizarre. One of the things that I learned about it is it goes for scores of miles, like dozens of miles underneath the ground and between the city I can't really call it. I say the town that the cave was in, it's called Stanton uh, and Sullivan, which is where I was living at the time. There were cave systems you could literally crawl through that entire way, going past the city I lived in even further out to another cave called Onondaga. 
Wow. So, and people tried to do this, failed because most of it's underwater, but <laughs> they could, the tech where it was, it was just amazing. I can't believe it was that deep. Yeah. That's wild. Adam, how about you? What was your uh, first job, you know, that you remember getting paid for? Gosh, nothing that exciting. But uh, as a teenager growing up in Texas, all my early jobs were related to uh, frozen treats. So I, um, I, I either either frozen treats or staying cool. So I, I did a uh, snow cone uh, making as a job for a while. I did. Um, I worked at a marble slab creamery. And then my, my, the, uh, my other early jobs were all around like staying cool. So I would do like movie projection and, and stuff like that for a local uh, theater on downtown main street, grapevine, Texas. Oh my gosh. That is awesome. That is. Uh, so I've, I've got a, um, a team here at higher logic. And so I've, we do a standups like three times a week just for 15 minutes. Cause we can't get together in person or anything. And, um, and you know, it's, it's your standard, Hey, what are you working on? But I always try and throw in a question, just try and get to know each other more and more because we're on just on a zoom call. And so, yeah. uh, that's been a good one recently. I just asked everybody for their favorite meme in our team's thread. So like everyone threw out like a nice meme in there. Um, so I'm having some, trying to find some different ways to, you know, build some camaraderie and build some team, um, in the virtual environment, which I feel like everybody can relate to right now since we can't really see each other in person for sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm excited cause we are going to talk through you know, uh, customer education and, um, how it's become so impactful to, uh, retention, how it's been, you know, impactful for customer success to, um, make sure that, you know, as, as customer success managers or customer facing roles that were, you know, focusing with the customers on the right things. And so, um, you know, I would say naively kind of, uh, took over our, our customer education team here. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think maybe is, underrated about customer education is you kind of sit there and think, you know, Hey, you have the product, you know, what your customers are trying to achieve. You just kind of go, you know, Hey, we need to, uh, snapshot these different areas of the product, what you need to do in there and what's happening. And then we just need to throw it up on a website. And it seems really straightforward, right? It's like, Hey, you, you have the product, you have the outcome, you just go design some, you know, uh, some quick education and you throw it up there and then you let customers, uh, go consume it. And how hard can it really be? And, um, I will tell you it is hard. So what is one of the first things that you guys think about education? And, and like you said, you're recording your podcast, you're trying to, to make sure in your own roles right now that customer education is looked at as a, um, you know, strategic lever in the business, right? It's a way for us to make sure that, uh, we're retaining customers that they're doing the right things with the product. Um, so I'm curious, like what's one of the first things for you all as you've gone into your roles, um, that you felt like you needed to, to do in order to make sure that you could really go start impacting kind of retention and some of the customer success metrics that we've come to know and love. Oh my gosh, that is such a meaty question in so many ways we can go with that. Uh, I, I think though, I actually think about this is this is how I start my book. We we tend to think of customer education as this content first discipline, right? Where to your point, we just have to put together enough documentation or info dumps about the features of our product. And then magically we're going to stuff it into our customers' brains and then they're going to know it. And somehow that also means that uh, by knowing it, they're going to be able to do all of it. They're going to be motivated to do it. And that is somehow going to lead to business results. And basically not just because of what we know about cognitive science, but also just what we know about our own customers and customer motivation, all of that is wrong. So in my book, I actually start this discussion not by talking about customer education as this fluffy thing, but actually by talking about CAC LTV ratio. Because really, 
if we're thinking about what customer education does for the business, you are creating healthier customers who are more empowered to find more meaningful use of your project product and to evangelize that within their own organizations. So you kind of have to backtrack from that. What can we do in terms of educating our customers that's going to get them to meaningful use of our product quickly and sustainably? And most of the time, that doesn't just mean putting together content. So I'll throw that out as my winning gambit. There's a ton we can talk to you there. But but, yeah. Uh, no, I, I love that point because I think the, the other thing that you brought in, um, into that point that starts to resonate with me as well is, um, so not only right thinking about kind of who is the right audience, what are they trying to accomplish the motivating factors, um, but also trying to make sure that you're understanding like the business metrics of what we can actually go impact. Right. Cause I think, um, at the end of the day, I think one of the things that we hear in our community most, um, whether it's customer success leaders, support leaders, education leaders, everyone typically has the same challenge, which is how do I go prove to my company that I'm driving value, um, for the business, for our business, right? So not only driving value for our customers, yeah. but driving value for our yeah. business. And I think to your point, Adam, like one of the things that I, um, am always trying to think about, figure out, uh, in any business, you know, when we were doing our consulting work was that question first, right? Like what, at the end of the day, what does success look like, um, for this team, for this function, for this role? And you just hit the nail on the head for me, which is, you know, a couple of things come out, which is, um, how do we make sure that they're getting, uh, that they're staying longer, uh, that they're, um, you know, doing the right things in the product to achieve the things that they need to. And, you know, at the same time, um, how are we also looking at, I think, how are we helping expediters speed up that curve so that they're getting there faster and they're getting there um, and faster. Sometimes I think people means just, Hey, I'm just going to um, put you through the same amount of content in um, you know, a shorter amount of time, which to me is, is also kind of the wrong way of looking at that because really what yeah. you're trying to accomplish is the fact that, Hey, we need to start looking at um, key moments in the, in the customer journey and the customer life cycle about how they're using our product and make sure that we're coaching to those moments, not just coaching to the entire thing, to the mass. Hey, here's everything our product can do. Um, because that's where I feel like you start to get it. You run into things where your customers, like you said, um, wow, it's so big. It's so heavy. There's so much that I can go do. I don't, now I'm kind of stuck. I'm almost like paralyzed uh, in a sense. Yeah. Jim. Yeah. And, and I, I want to put a pin in that, Dave, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll stop in a moment. I just want to put a pin in a couple of things there. One is the idea of moving from that kind of reactive mindset of let's plug holes in our, in our content and in our documentation and figure out what problems we can solve immediately. And that's what you're going to be doing when you first start customer education to moving towards something that's more like a customer journey, key moments, a curriculum that actually helps people get not just from zero to 60, but from 60 to the hundred or uh, whatever metaphor you want to use there. And the other yeah. that I want to put a pin in is kind of moving from that content first mindset to the customer first mindset. And that is a, an immediate and fundamental change in the way that you think about customer education. Yeah, yeah, I'm me, sorry. No, actually that, that segs really well into what I was going to say, Adam, because uh, Jeff, let's do this for a minute. And, and I want to do this for your audience intentionally, because you said something when we started this podcast, that really hit me that and, and it's at the core of customer education. So you, and, and I'm going to paraphrase, you can scroll back and listen to it again, but you're really genuine and authentic when you're saying, Hey, okay, how hard this can be? Could, could this be, I need to get stuff together. I, I, Hey, and this is what, I think this happens a lot 
because I hear it from my friends and my network and, and people that we meet every day. People who fall into this world that Adam and I are in, and to some extent you, now that you have a team doing it. Yeah. We are kind of bereft. We have been kind of bereft of leadership, not, not even leadership, guidance, structure, because you're coming into a field of customer success that let's go back in time 10 years. I think we talked about this before when we, we, we talked earlier, you know, like a month or so back, but uh, this, this field of customer education emerged, right, from sev- several different things. And all of a sudden, it's a category. It's its own field. It's its thing. Now it has its own rules. We know we can, we can condense it down to a few concepts. Customer education has kind of come out of that in a similar and emergent pattern. And the people that have fallen into this are like us, where... Oh, I was in customer success role. Hey, I was a, um, a product project manager for a while. I, I've done all the things, right? Now let's go back to your moment and hold that for a sec in our heads. How hard can this be? Hey, Jane and Jim, two of my great CSMs, they're on scale team. They go out and say, hey, can, okay, this is what one should do. Go collect information, put it on a page, help our customers get to it. Lead, maybe you do a webinar or two, right? I'd see you smiling because I think this is how we all, we all think about it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Such a common scenario. It, it yeah. is exactly. And actually it is not wrong. And what you're thinking is right. And the, your heart and your mind are in the right place. But what Adam said before is that often comes from a place of reactivity, right? Adam. Yep. Uh, and th- it's, uh, it's also not necessarily thinking about the customer first because you're kind of thinking selfishly. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that pejoratively or anything. I'm saying yeah. you are because you in that moment in time are automatically thinking about scale because you're CS <clears throat> and then that's where you get stuck because the assumptions that you're going in, you're going into this with is how hard is this? It is a lot harder than you want to think about, but it's not for the reasons that you would expect. It's more like you get into it and then you go, Oh my God, there's all this other stuff from this other field and discipline of people who know so much more than me any day about education and learning and adult learning theory. And then there's another piece out there, which is that actually doesn't work really well in our market either. We need to pivot it and think about what does work and pull that in. And we need to think from what we do, what does work and what doesn't work in in traditional education. So I'll leave it there, but I'm saying that this problem is bigger than most of the market gives it credit for. And, you know, I love to go back to the podcast we did with Lincoln Murphy and, you know, Lincoln Murphy yep. and he's talking about this product. He's on your show too. Yeah. Yeah. Product market afterthought. I love what he said about that. That's where we, where we start thinking about customer education. It's like, Oh, we got to get this. We got to put this together. And then we need to go back to what Adam just said is let's do this with intentionality. Let's think about, well, let's ask the voice of the customer. What does the customer think they need? Yeah. Um, and let's put it, pin it on them because you know what they're going to draw. And this is actually painful because, uh, the first time I did this and went through this exercise at Gainsight, there was internal resistance because they're like, well, we know what our customer is, is thinking about, but sometimes you don't. Yeah. The, that is the, uh, the two things that just stuck out a lot for me is that scenario you describe. I, um, I feel like I've lived through that myself, you know, where it's like, Hey, let's just. Hey, yeah. I, hey, you're really smart at implementations and you know the product really well. Let's just pull you into a webinar every once in a while. We're just mm-hmm. going to, you know, do that live for customers. We're going to invite them in there and then, you know, they're going to go to the next thing. And then I'm going to go to a CSM and say, Hey, you're really good at doing this. And our customers need to do that every once in a while. So let me throw you into a webinar. And then you've got yeah. three and it's like, Hey, this is rolling. Right. I, I literally feel like I've lived through that. And I also feel like I've been through, like as a customer, I feel like I've been through that experience where I'm like on this yeah. call and I'm like, wait a minute, like, 
what are you really like? You're really just like, I don't know, like, you know, it's like very fundamental. Like you're just in the software showing me like what to do. It's not helping resonate. Right. It, it reminds me back of um, when you start thinking about what are your kind of going back to your, your college, your high school, elementary, middle school days, right? Like where, where do you do your best learning? How do you do your best learning? And it's when you're, you're actively, it, you know, actively doing something that is um, kind of furthering the agenda and making sure that you're actively engaged in doing that. Um, I think is like the big thing we've, we've learned that in our gain, grow, retain office hours, we were kind of a side tangent story, but I think it resonates because we did our first session. We had a panel of four people and we literally were just asking the panel, Hey, here's a question. And the panel takes it and answers, right? Your typical webinar. And, um, we similar to what you just mentioned, Dave, right? The, the thing that we did is we, we said, right after that meeting, Hey, how do we do? What do you want next? And the pejorative answer was we hate panels. Like, I don't want to sit there. I don't want to sit there and just listen. I don't want to sit there and just listen to four people talk. Like I want to be engaged, interact. And we said, okay, cool. So what do we do? The next one we came and we said, okay, we're throwing panels out. We have one question we're going to talk through today. And that is, what are you doing with your customers and their contracts? Cause this was all right through COVID. So it was like, what are you doing with your customers and your contracts? And then we sat back and to your point, we started doing, you know, this, um, melding of just trying to move the conversation from one person to another. And so we had, you know, 20 to 30, it was really easy and simple. We did the same thing. Hey, did you like, Hey, what, you know, what did you think about that? The answer came back and said, Hey, we like that a little bit better. So we kept doing that. And so we kept iterating because we, but what we end up with today is this session where we actually go into small breakout rooms where people have about four or five other connections. We have one specific question that they're talking about. And what they do is they get a, a quick networking. Hey, who's our, who are you? But then it's supposed to be this uh, kind of active learning and listening where they're, you know, Hey, here's my challenge with this topic that we have today, or here's what I'm working on today. And then there's collective thought that's kind of going around the room. But the reason I just bring it up is that we've, at least in our community, you know, it's not necessarily uh, customer education, but in our community, I think we've also seen how this, you know, making sure you're listening to your, your members, listening to your customers, understanding, you know, what are they needing and wanting in order to really get the outcome that they want to achieve. Um, and then moving along that path and being comfortable with actually adapting things. I think that's the other thing that I was going to mention about your answer as well, Dave, you know, where people are in that pejorative position where it's like, Hey, we're just throwing three webinars together, you know, monthly with these people internally, but then they get scared to either stop doing those things or to change uh -huh. them. Right. They just say, Hey, mm -hmm. we've been doing this forever. So we're going to keep doing this. So how yeah. do you get out of, how do you get out of that cycle where it's like, <laughs> you, like you said, if you're in that first stage where you're just kind of like, Hey, I threw, you know, a couple of our, our customer success people, like what's that next step to say, okay, let's put a little bit more thought. Let's put a little bit more rigor into this. How do you, how do you move to that next stage? Yeah. Like how do you avoid the sunk cost fallacy? We, we did, we started doing this stuff. How do we, how do we actually make decisions about it? Uh, there's a, there's a name for that phenomenon. We call that the accidental customer education team. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very, very common in uh, CS teams who sponsor customer education in those early days, but uh, they think of it more of an activity rather yep. than a true function or a strategy or yeah. a team or a department or a pillar of customer success, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, part of it is being able to back out of the activities that you're doing and to start thinking about strategically, what is customer education meant to do? Um, and therefore, how would we then prioritize our activities against it? And that sounds scary when I say it, because it probably requires a lot more thought than people are putting into it when they're just doing completely reactive uh, activities. But this is something that you could do with 
you know, a, a day long offsite or uh, a few brainstorming sessions. And, and you could do the following. You could say, if I had to rank the business outcomes that we wanted to drive by educating our customers, first of all, what, what would that be? Uh, do we want to increase our customer support deflection? Do we want to provide a more predictable experience to our customers during onboarding so that they can uh, get to first value in a shorter timeline or in a more predictable way? Do we want to scale our CSMs so that they can manage more accounts during the onboarding phase? Whatever it is, right? Being able to to tamp down on, on what's actually most important to the business first will help drive some of those priorities and will also get you out of being too beholden to specific programs or specific activities that you're already doing. So then you can form some hypotheses against that. Um, and the hypotheses are, are going to be as easy as like, what now, what, what type of customer education activities or tactics will inform that strategy? So going back to what I said a moment ago, if the issue is support deflection, if your support team is just getting, um, you know, hammered by the same, basic customer questions over and over and over, well, you probably have some sort of issue around uh, how you're scaling your knowledge. So now we can go look at that. We can start to uh, form some hypotheses against why that might be happening. Is it because our most common support questions aren't documented anywhere? Uh, If so, that's a great initiative. Like, let's start figuring out what those top cases are and create documentation. Is it that the documentation currently exists, but it's out of date and wrong? Okay, same thing. You can uh, have some of your more knowledgeable folks uh, spend some time actually filling in those documentation gaps. Does the documentation exist, but is gated so customers can't actually find it when they Google for it? Because that's actually how customers are looking for it. They're not going through your fancy support portal process that you you cooked up. Well, then you can work to convince whoever it is that thought it was important to gate your content to ungate it and actually make it discoverable for customers. So that's one example. And, and I'm using that one because it's one of the most common ones that people start with. We could talk through some other ones around uh, onboarding or customer training or uh, you know training focused on adoption. But hopefully that at least provides a little bit of a lens into, okay, if I don't have like a full-time customer education leader and a fully defined strategy yet, how do I at least approach this in a way that is customer centric? Adam, let me add on to that real quick too. So you're going to the right, you're going with the right thinking in mind. It's like, okay, now I have to think about OKRs, you know, goals, whatever it is, however your business defines stuff. It's actually one of the things that I would do as well, because a lot of, a lot of times you're dealing with immediate customer pain. Like think about your support team. Oh my God, I'm getting just pounded with these calls and they're the same. And the team's frustrated because they're just the same things. Exactly what you're saying, Adam. One of the things that I also think about is, okay, while you're doing this, you know, to get an, get an offsite and offsites are miserable right now, you know, cause you're sitting in front of the computer for what, eight hours. Um, while that's going on, while you're actually trying to get together that fabric of people, the knowledge leaders and, and, you know, that understanding of what your product is, there's something else you can do. Let's go back to your webinars. So, so Jeff, you were saying, okay, yeah, we do this webinar. We do it every week, maybe do it three times a week. I've seen CS teams for, uh, form like a scale or a projects team pretty commonly, and they do exactly this. And I've seen those teams emerge beside my team. And I go, well, what are you doing? Um, we're kind of beyond that phase. A webinar should be something where webinars are thought leadership, you know, here's the big picture 
training is not the same as a webinar, but they kind of fluidly mix. So one of the things you could do is if you're in that gap and you're trying to build up to what Adam was saying, you know, how do I, I measure my, my time to first value? That's a little hard first, especially if you don't have product, I'll use the word telemetry. I love it. And your adoption metrics. Uh, if you don't have that quite yet, it's not the end of the world. Think about, here's one metric that all of you who are probably listening care about your own time. You got to book a business with 50 accounts. Holy crap. I've got a business of 50 accounts. I have to care and love and nurture 50 unique customers. So yeah, a webinar is a great idea. Record it, right? Spend a little time thinking about, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. Here, here's one of my favorite techniques. And I, I don't know, this might Adam differ a little bit from yours too, but this is when I'm in a real pinch and I come in and things are just out of control. I go, okay, let's get our C the, the key CSMs and maybe some professional services and implementation people, you know, the ones that know the best. And yes, let's do those webinars and let's record them quarterly. Want, do them once. Yep. Bring them online. Mm -hmm. Rebroadcast them with live Q and A. I mean, on on live actually is a good service for those, but you could do it with Twitch or other platforms, Zoom too. Yeah. Rerun Anything the video. It has kind of that like simulive type functionality. Right. So uh, why I say this is to complement what Adam's saying is that, uh, oh gosh, there's a really great quote I love. Um, uh, you know, um, what was it about the world was oh, education or, oh gosh, our customer, our customer success is like a race between education and disaster. <laughs> and what I mean by that is who said that? Yeah, I made it up. I hybridized it from another quote. Um, but the concept is we are in a race for our lives. We are trying to educate customers with, with the floor is lava. I mean, it's changing underneath us, literally flowing. Things are changing. The understanding is changing. So by doing those little webinars periodically, let's say we do them on a four-week cadence, once a month, webinar, four weeks, webinar, four weeks. We're, every time we come back, you know what we do? We pull up the deck. Oh, this changed, this changed, this, this UI is different put it, put that recording on a page. That's a, a mock Academy. Keep doing that until you can go. Now I hired Adam and Adam will, will, will actually start to structure this the way we could, but you're, you're hedging your bets. Yeah. That the, a couple of, of things that um, hit me as you both were talking. One is this, um, this concept too, of, you know, do it once, let it scale, right? Like how do you, um, yes, like as much as we want to be doing these things live and interacting with as many customers as possible, it's just the sheer economics of a business, right? Like we can't, um, as much as I would love to do one-on-one -on -one training with every single customer, right? Like that, that yeah. model just doesn't exist in the world that we're going to be in. Jeff, um, can I, can I, can I pick on that for a moment though? Yeah, go yeah. for it. I, I feel like I, I, I need to jump in on that one <laughs> because, because what you just said is actually super telling what we would like to do is train customers one-on-one. -on -one. And this yep. is actually one of the biggest myths that I see in customer education and customer success. The idea that, oh, we have this enterprise customer, they need this custom white glove, one-to-one -one, synchronous live training. I need to show up at their office. I need to train them that way, uh, which is sometimes true, but is just as often not true. Yeah. And if you are building a program that is predicated on the fact that your CSM needs to have synchronous FaceTime 
uh, spend a bunch of time doing what they think are like tailored white glove activities, but is not actually meeting the needs of your customer. We hear just as often an enterprise customer will look at that and say, yeah, that's great that you want to come, you know, hang out with us, but what are you going to do for the rest of our team? What are you going to do for all the people who are in different time zones? What are you going to do for all the people who are in distributed different offices? Uh, our whole team doesn't have time to come spend an hour with you learning about the basics of the product. Do you have anything scalable that we can use to actually form our own learning plans? So I really, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to kind of like disabuse ourselves of the notion that training must be this one-to-one white glove bespoke the thing and that's the optimal option and anything else we're doing is sacrificing uh the the primacy of of that option it's just yeah. not true yeah well and it's it goes in the other facets of customer success too right like we start thinking about it um and i think this actually kind of lends itself as you start thinking about how communities are on this rise over the last year because of where we are is yeah. the fact that at the end of the day, really probably the number one question that we get in customer success as customer success leaders are, what are my peers doing? Like, so to your point, right? Generally what's starting to happen, at least in my mind is there, the one-on-one is a great, you know, is, I mean, just in terms of uh, relationship building, right? We need to have a QBR. We need to have an EBR. Like we've got these, these moments with customers, but by and large, I'm, I'm starting to start looking at this and I kind of cringe when people say, Hey, what's your tech touch strategy with your customers, right? Or, Hey, what's your, what's your digital strategy. But really what starts to happen is how do you start bringing your customers together and being a really good connector? How do you start really bringing them together and saying, Hey, we're all, you all are trying to solve a very similar thing. And how do we help you all connect with one another? Because again, I think there's so much that we can do as a vendor. um, And, you know, I I use that word specifically because at the end of the day, we are a vendor, right there. As much as you want to say, Hey, we're going to go develop a relationship with the customer. Hey, we're going to have a one-to-one, a human to human relationship. That's great. But they're always going to see us as the vendor. And so when you can start connecting customers to customer, and then that is another way that I've seen how, how education can scale too, right? There is the, there is the, the, um, record it once scale it. There's the Academy. There's the, um, the, the things that we can do in order to, you know, put together curriculums and things like that. Then there is this whole other side that, um, I think is largely untapped for a lot of customers. When you, a lot of, uh, companies out there, when you start thinking about how they can learn peer to peer, Hey, here's an example in the, in the wild that I've done and executed and that I can share with you how I did this, or, you know, Hey, I see yourself, you're with that problem. How can I help you solve? And so I think people largely also don't think about how, um, education leaders can also be helping to shape maybe a community or shaping this uh, other side of the organization where it's like, Hey, we need to bring customers together to learn um, with each other. And learning doesn't necessarily just mean a specific format of you're watching a webinar or you're watching some on-demand training or taking a quiz, right? This is also learning when you start thinking about community and scaling. Yeah. Yeah, Like as your, as your customer program evolves, customer education program, I should say, you're going to have a portfolio of different, uh, of different programs within there. You'll have your, uh, on-demand training, you'll have your certification programs, you'll have in-product education, you'll have uh, your help docs, so on and so forth. And community is often a part of that. When when I led customer education at Optimizely, we actually had this uh, kind of front door uh, landing page that we called Optiverse with a, a federated search where you could then search for any topic that you wanted and get uh, directed to appropriate resources in our help center in our academy or certifications. And then like you mentioned in our customer community as well. 
Now, I do want to put one big asterisk on that for any early stage CS leader who is super excited about going and doing that, which is uh, if you build it, they won't come. Building these programs requires an incredible commitment to staffing it. You should have a community manager who's actually going to run those programs, who's going to be responsible for keeping them active, who's going to be responsible for making sure that the content that's being generated in your community is accurate uh, and reflects what the, the, the message that your brand will want people to be talking about on there. So I, I can't say enough, like if you're going to go down that route, community requires probably the most active maintenance of almost any of these programs. And it's one really important reason to actually be thinking about having a strategic customer education program with a leader that you staff Yep, uh, and metrics against it. Yeah. Going back to the metrics piece too, right? I, I mean, I think um, that becomes such a key when you're starting to think about, like you said earlier, right? There's there's several use cases um, that we can be leaning towards or guiding with, but making sure you've got um, the lagging indicators of like, what are we actually impacting? But then how do you start backing up the, the truck into the leading indicators so that you can say, hey, these behaviors that we're doing are going to have an impact on this later down the road. But I think that's another part that, you know, you continue to see in customer success, which is, you know, hey, how am I actually impacting retention or how am I actually impacting the revenue or ARR that we have today? Um, right. Those are lagging indicators for us. So yeah. how do we start getting these leading leading things that um, kind of lead us into that um, that lagging indicator? The yeah. oh, go for it, Dave. Oh, no, I was going to I was going to add into that, Jeff, is that it just popped in my my head over the past few weeks. In fact, that while we think those are particularly challenging things to measure, it's it's often not as hard as you might think. You can even do that in a manual basis. But this is something that bothers me a lot that, you know, you get in and you start building a, um, a platform, you'd start building your data stack if we want to get nerdy. You know, you've got an LMS, you've got all this data coming out of it. And then you're like, oh, now I'm on the hook. Now I've invested, now I'm 100K in with systems and technology and I have to actually prove my worth. And that's scary. I think that's one of the scariest things about this whole customer education world. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story I just saw in a community that we participate in. Uh, one of our team members, one of our community members had said, I had the most refreshing thing ever happened to me. So I'm a new customer education leader and, and I'm paraphrasing this here, um, but I went to my VP and fully expecting that they're going to say, how do you prove your ROI? How do you get all the, like, what's, what are you doing for us? And, you know, I've had this moment and but with VPs before and, it's scary. Um, but many of them are now saying, you know what, we're just building this function. What's going to be important for me is that you're tracking to that. But right now, show me the show me some of the indicators. And those indicators, and I'm not saying that the ones that we're just talking about, you know, we get to lifetime value and time to first value. And, you know, what is the impact on, on net retention? And, you know, all of these metrics, those are big. Those usually require somebody that has a little bit more data science or ops background to, to bring them together. But there is something you can do pretty quick, which is I like to, oh, well, let's just tie, let's talk um, any metric. Uh, if I have some data for it, like, um, well, let me think off the top of my head. I, I want to do that time to first value. That might be actually something that I can measure. You know what? I go into... I'm just going to pick Salesforce because that's on the top of my mind. And I look at the time here, here's, this is a practical take home. Okay. You say you have Salesforce dynamics, something like that. Look at the accounts who have just come through onboarding brand new, net new, 
you haven't seen them before. And think about the training activities that you put them through. And think about the co companies that in bucket them. So these over here, they went through on onboarding. It took X days. They did training. These over here were like low touch. They didn't do anything, right? We just got them in there. Maybe see us and talk to them. Um, and so I can tell one, one did, one did not do training. What's the difference in that time? And when, when I did that for the first time, it was, it, I could do it. I could do it on my own. I didn't need anybody else to do it. And, and it was easy to get in my head. And I saw a massive difference where the number that I was looking at was for customers who went through training or did not go through training. It was typically on average, 130 days onboarding. Wow. But for those who did, and this is, this is a real one. I'm not going to mention the, the company, but for those who did go through training it was 30. 100 hours saved. Now think about that. Like that's a massive amount of time. And they came out the other end with a customer that was knowledgeable. So for yeah. you, this is, uh, it, you know, and I also wanted to touch on this. We should probably touch on the tech touch concept because I, it brings to mind Gavil Kashard. And I think the reason that, you know, like, these are simple things we can do to drive success. And you don't have to do all the metrics. And have, like I've come in and said, I want to measure this and this and this and this. No, pick one, pick two, start working, add the rest, constellate them. And you'll start seeing your program actually lift. And you'll start seeing like, you know, you think, hey, you know, maybe I should build a tech touch program. So my CSM don't have to do, it, do this every week. But that's not even fair because there's options in there where you kind of want to get to a dashboard concept and see where, okay, for that company that took 130 hours to onboard, why? What was it? Was it a technical thing or did they really struggle? So there's all kinds of things. And I think going back to some of the things you're talking about, like metrics are hard, but the pain is also harder, right? We need to coach people. We need to learn, teach people. We need to help people have a couple guiding North stars to work from and then start working towards it. You know, Dave, you, you kind of mentioned here, how to look at some of those lagging indicators. Yeah. And I think that you could equally look at this for some of the leading indicators, right? So Jeff kind of mentioned earlier, how do you, how do you figure out whether to keep that webinar program or, or to deprecate it? And I think that in many cases here, having some light framework or a light way to be able to look at um, just how your stuff is doing whether it's worth yeah. continuing to maintain or whether you need to look at it differently. So one thing that I always recommend is having some sort of discoverability and value framework. Uh, and sounds, sounds complicated, really isn't. Uh, for any program that you put out there, just think about how am I gonna know whether people are finding it? Mm -hmm. And how am I gonna know whether when they find it, it helps them. So on something like Help Center articles, super easy. You can look at the page views as discoverability. You can also take a look at the search terms, see what people are actually looking for and they can't find, but let's keep it simple, page views. And then you've got your upvote, downvote. That's value. Did they get value from it? Similarly, let's say you're running that webinar program. How many people attend? Are you getting the types of attendance that you actually want to see? Well, that's discoverability. And then typically at the end, you're going to run a survey and that's, that's value. Now, you can start to do more and more interesting things as time goes on with those. You can, for instance, uh, start to break up that webinar into smaller chunks and you can actually track drop off. And 
if people are dropping off at a certain stage, then you can go figure out why are they doing that? So again, it just gives you a lot more customer feedback to be able to make decisions about what to keep, what to scrap, what to improve. Yeah. Well, well done. I, uh, I will throw in the proverbial, my computer died. I, you know, got thrown off the zoom and Dave and Adam didn't miss a beat. So that was amazing. We do uh, this a lot. You know, yeah, I bet. Right. You guys, you guys are used to talking to each other. <laughs> um, we kept we kept things going once we saw once we saw you freeze jeff <laughs> well, well, either, either he's either he's deep in thought yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly uh, well one other thing man there's so many things there's so many good like topics that we could keep going down and like spend so much more time but one thing that uh, i've run up against lately and i wanted to um kind of run it by you all is this idea of choice and people saying we need to give the customer options. They need to be able to, you know, kind of self-select like what they need to, what they want to do when they want to do it. And I feel like that's a, a dangerous or slippery slope to go down. And so I'm curious from, from your perspective, right? When you think about what we're trying to do within our education teams, um, you know, is choice a good thing for customers? Is it a bad thing? Is there like some sort of happy medium that needs to be, um, like when you think about that, that concept, I'd love just to, to kind of pick your brains on that for a minute. I'll jump in real quick here. I know we have, don't have too long, but it, I think that I hear this all the time. You know, like I, I, I see people saying, Hey, can we just get a wizard? And the wizard says, Oh, well, who am I? I'm in, I'll, I'll use outreach terms. I'm a sales development rep. I'm an account exec. You know, these are the personas that matter. You want somebody to be able to select. And even from that, like maybe they need to say, I need to select from, I only have this much time to figure this stuff out, or I really want to go down the path to like learn more and become an expert. Um, I think choice is a potential myth. And Adam, you could probably riff on this as well. That when I think one of the risks, maybe I'll channel um, a story. So I used to teach video game design at a university for many years. And it's an adjunct role. So this is my professor, me. And one of the things I learned in that about video game design actually is a good story for education as well. The, one of the things that happens with choice is that if you give, and this is really clear in video games, you have an open world shooter, Minecraft, whatever, you can do anything. You put somebody new into that environment and they're like, I, I don't know what to do, right? And, and I think Adam, you even mentioned this in your book, the concept of the blank screen, where you get into an application, you could do anything you want with this application, anything. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm going to do one thing and you flake and you freak. So, I mean, that's just kind of human nature. So one of the things that I actually encourage you is like say, yeah, choice does matter. And, but it matters more on, you know, like things like time and things like my persona, but it, it less matters about, I think you need to have a canonical understanding of the fundamentals of your platform, which then branch off to the choice that leads into use cases and workflows and things that mean something to me, because you're fighting this, uh, you know, this, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a new curve that I'm, I've been working on motivation versus fluency. You want customers to be fluent in your product. They speak your language. They understand how higher logic works, how Slack works, how outreach works. You want them to be motivated. You want them to engage with you and go, Oh my God. Okay. I got the basics. I'm fluent. I know what to, what this thing does. And then you start leading them down the path. There's a, there's a good idea called the weenie. A weenie in like editing terms is something that you will intentionally put somewhere 
But, uh, you know, I've heard this used at Walt Disney World where you come into the main castle and your family's all excited and you see something and there's this one thing that looks like a little bit off and it just, and then you, it leads you down another corridor into another thing. So we're not saying we're manipulating anybody. We're structuring an experience, a learning experience that sends people down a certain pathway and gets them to value as when posed with immense choice, it will be overwhelming. And that's the last thing we want to want to do for our customers are coming on board and they're overwhelmed with a dozen applications that they're going to have to use in their day. That's the, the perils of SaaS that we've got Slack, we've got HireLogic, we've got Outreach, we've got Airtable, we've got Monday, we've got, I mean, good Lord, the facility that we have to have mentally to, to run through this is, is hard. So less choice, I think is better, but that branches out over time when you start to pull the reins off and allow allow your customers to flourish and, and do what they want to do. Yeah, that's, that is the, um, you, you said it a lot more eloquently than I did, but, uh, or that I, than I would, but I think that is the, um, that is the thought that, that we've had a lot recently, you know, which is, um, in some cases there needs to be a direction and a, a motion or a movement where you're actually guiding, because again, the, like you said, if they're, if every, if the world's their oyster, they don't know what the oyster should look like. Right? They don't really know um, what they should be thinking about or how they should be describing it. They can describe the outcome they want to achieve maybe, but then how do they, you know, go get that done in the concept and the confines of the product or, and, or the processes of the people that live around the product as well. Like that's where, and that's where I also think um, we didn't touch on it today, but this is like another topic that I have a lot in my mind as well, which is the proverbial thought of, um, are we educating and training our customers only on our platform or are we training and educating our customers on the, the things that surround our platform as well? Like I think that customer success teams, a lot of times, you know, again, in our, a lot of our consulting work, we came across this where, um, they'd be missing that angle of, Hey, you know, Adam is making our platform really successful by having a full-time person in place by, you know, he has these, t- these types of key processes that surround it and, you know, sure, mm-hmm. silly about our product specifically, but it's making our product successful in the confines of that business. So like that becomes information that we need to be able to share and move and make sure that customers can touch and feel as well. So I feel like that's another piece that gets lost in the the shuffle. Um, there's Yeah, so it's... We, go ahead. No, I was going to say there's so much that... Um, there's so much that I think we could talk about. It's just funny. Like how <laughs> you think of all these tangents, these places to go. And like you said... Yeah why customer education has become its own, uh, you know, its own function and growth and career path inside of organizations. Cause like, this is all stuff that needs to be, to be figured out. And you're right. There's so much more beyond just product documentation. Um, when you're starting to look at the, the possibilities of the program, some people call what you just described category education or industry education. But I think, you know, the, the big takeaway that I think about there is that we're, we're all under this uh, conception that our customers care deeply about our product because we care deeply about our product because we work for the companies that produce our products. Uh, we have a lot of headspace for our own products and our customers don't. So a big part of customer education is actually figuring out those motivations uh, for what would make our customers successful. And a lot of the times that isn't just learning how to use our features. That is the processes that make them better at their jobs. And similarly, it also gives us a mandate, I think, to be more prescriptive about our customer education and to help show them the path that has been uh, what made previous customers successful versus just giving them a blank state and saying, hey, go for it, try everything on. I, I do think it's part of our roles as trusted advisors to help customers see that path and help them 
learn to care about our products over time by giving them more of a schema for not just how it works, but what's really going to help them get value from it. Yeah, um, man. Well, Dave and Adam, I know we're at time. And so, you know, really appreciate you all uh, coming on. Uh, what's the, give us the, where can people find you? Where can they find more of your stuff? Like where, you know, this is the place, go ahead and plug yourselves. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Uh, where, where to find you. Cool. Uh, well, we can, you can find us all out on LinkedIn for sure. And in the, in the Twitterverse, uh, we do have a website. It's customer.education. So really easy to find, but you'll also find C-Lab and that's C-E-L-A-B uh, in all the podcatchers. You know, we're on Spotify and uh, Apple, all, all, the, all of them. So check us out there. Check a couple of the episodes. This year in particular, I just want to mention that we're focusing a lot on customer success. So most of the, the episodes that you'll hear now going back to January are going to be strikingly relevant to your field. And it actually is a lot of this conversation. Adam? <laughs> Uh, that was a great plug, Dave. The only thing I'll add is if you're interested in getting the customer education book, you can find it on Amazon just by searching for customer education. Awesome. Well, um, I'm looking forward to get this one out. I think we're going to have to record more because I've got so many more questions and things that I want to um, ask you all as experts about. So we'll have to do this again. But thank you Absolutely. again for not missing a beat when my computer went dark. I uh, appreciate you guys doing that and uh, look forward to seeing you all again here pretty soon. Yeah, looking forward to a part two. Thanks for having us on. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.